Welcome to Strung Out, the podcast that looks at life through the lens of an artist. Your host is the artist, writer, and musician, Martin Lawrence McCormack. Now here's Marty. Hi, welcome to Strung Out. I'm Martin McCormack, and this is our 113th podcast for those of you who, like me, need to keep track of such things. It's also coming out on the 21st of August, but on the 20th of August is my brother Joseph, my oldest brother's birthday, and so I want to wish my brother Joe a happy birthday. And those of you that see him, make sure you wish him a happy birthday as well. Today is that weird weekend that signals the start of school in Chicago, and I am talking about the Chicago Air and Water Show, which has been taking place ever since 1959. It is one of those weekends that in the past I am always grateful to be traveling out of town because it's just a lot of people. They go down to North Avenue Beach and there is this annoyance, would be the best way to put it, of these huge jets, these warplanes coming through and banking out over the neighborhoods and scaring the living daylights out of a lot of people, including yours truly. It's an odd thing, and it plays into what I'm going to talk about in this first part of this podcast. I want to tie it in with an actor who made an announcement, Jonah Hill. Now, Jonah Hill is an actor that I am not 100% familiar with. He's been in a lot of different movies, Super Bad. He's been in 21 Jump Street, The Wolf of Wall Street, Moneyball, Don't Look Up. He's been around. He's uh, just finished directing and starring in a documentary that uh, called Stutz. It is about his grappling with anxiety. And I want to read a little bit of what he writes about it because I think it's interesting. These people that are Hollywood actors that are on TV shows and in films, not on stage, but on set. And there's a great distinction there. When you're on set, you're acting in front of a camera, okay? And you're not dealing with that added energy exchange that's there with the audience. And that's a big point because you have an exchange with the audience only when it comes to having to promote your film. Wow, such an amazing thing when you think about it, that where you engage your audiences at film festivals, that sort of thing, the award ceremonies, that sort of thing. So in the case of this actor, for almost 20 years, he's had anxiety. And I'm sure the film's going to be good because it sounds like what he talks about is these interactions with his therapist out there in Hollywood on how to deal with anxiety. Anxiety is a weird thing. I know a bit about it. I have had 
anxiety attacks in the past, being on stage, performing. And I thought I'd just talk a little bit about that because I've never really put it out there for my Switchback fans. And not a lot of people, I think, know about it. But the coping mechanisms that one has to do to deal with anxiety, at least for myself, has been very interesting. And that brings me back to the Ear and Water show. One of the things that really grates on me is unpredictable noises, jets flying over your neighborhood. Even though the rational part of my brain says, oh, it's the Chicago Ear and Water show, the fight or flight part of my brain is like, what the hell is that? And it irritates me. I guess I'm that dog that doesn't like the thunderstorm. In the case of Jonah Hill, he has this film that's coming out, and your duty is to promote your film at these festivals. So the poor guy, and I mean that with all sincerity, yeah, he looks like he would be a very affable and approachable human being. But he wrote a letter to his fans, and I just want to read this because I think this is very insightful, and we'll continue along from there. I have finished directing my second film, a documentary about me and my therapist, which explores mental health in general, called Stutz. The whole purpose of making this film is to give therapy and tools I've learned in therapy to a wider audience for private use through an entertaining film. Through the journey of self-discovery within the film, I have come to the understanding that I have spent nearly 20 years experiencing anxiety attacks, which are exacerbated by media appearances and public-facing events. I am so grateful that the film will make its world premiere at a prestigious film festival this fall, and I can't wait to share it with audiences around the world in the hope that it'll help those struggling. However, you won't see me out there promoting this film or any of my upcoming films while I take this important step to protect myself. If I made myself sicker by going out there and promoting it, I wouldn't be acting true to myself or to the film. I usually cringe at letters or statements like this, but I understand that I am of the privileged few that, who can afford to take time off. I won't lose my job while working on my anxiety. With this letter and with Stutz, I am hoping to make it more normal for people to talk and act on this stuff so they can take the steps toward feeling better and so that people in their lives might understand their issues more clearly. I hope the work will speak for itself and I'm grateful to my collaborators and my business partners and to all reading this for your understanding and support. Nice letter. And I think he hits the nail on the head. He's one of the privileged few that can actually be able to afford stepping away from situations that cause anxiety. A lot of us are the opposite. We have to deal with anxiety. And anxiety for me really started taking off around 2009 when I was just running really hard during that stretch of time. And I noticed it in the weirdest way. We're coming back from Hawaii, sitting in the back of the plane, all of a sudden I just had this overwhelming feeling of panic. And the feeling was like when you are startled and that initial startled feeling doesn't go away. It just stayed there with me. 
And I turned to Annie and I said, I think I might be having a panic attack. And I thought the best way to combat that would be having a big glass of wine, which I did. And the panic attack subsided, went away. Then, fast forward a couple weeks later, and I'm traveling to Ohio to play at the Hey Hey Club. And all of a sudden, I get this panic attack. And it's in the car. And it's, again, that that kind of feeling of impending doom. It's a feeling of your flight emotion just being full tilt. Highly irrational. There was one part of me saying, wow, this is a panic attack. I can't believe I'm having a panic attack. While the other side of me was saying, you're having a panic attack. Do something about it. There was nothing really I could do about it. I got up on stage and I performed and it subsided. It went away. It went away. I was grateful. I thought, okay, if I just kind of tough it out, I'll be okay. Fast forward one more month. And this time I get these feelings like I am not able to keep my balance. And I'm wondering what the hell is going on here? And I literally am standing in front of a mirror, full-length mirror with my bass guitar, practicing standing, if you could believe that. Because I was terrified that, for whatever reason my head, that I was going to fall over in front of people on stage. Totally irrational. Didn't make any sense to me whatsoever. But that feeling there was so intense that I didn't know what to do with it. So what happened is I went down to play at the Focal Point in St. Louis. Small, intimate club. And we were being videotaped that night, I remember. We switched back. And all of a sudden, right during the show, I am on stage and here comes that panic attack. And it it just blooms from the pit of my stomach. And it courses through my body with a feeling of adrenaline. I'm fighting this urge to get off the stage. That's going on in my head while I'm singing and playing the bass and I'm smiling to the audience. But that's what's going on in my head. The film is out there somewhere. You wouldn't know it to see it that I was having it. But by this time, I was aware of what this thing was. And so in December of 2009 was when I really had a big battle with anxiety. I think anxiety in my case is something that was hereditary. My mom's side of the family was very nervous, very stressed out kind of people. We always joked about it in our family, that idea that, hey, things seem a little too calm here. Let's have, let's cause some anxiety, some stress. But in truth, I couldn't remember my grandmother and my mom and her sisters as well, all possessing this kind of nervous energy. And it was very intense in my mom. With me, 
it was a problem because it was manifesting itself when I was on stage in front of people. I have been performing now at this point in 2009. I've been performing since 1993 full time with Switchback. So this was really a serious blow to my sense of self-worth and career, and I didn't know what I was going to do. I had to find some solutions. One of the solutions was trying herbs for a while. Since Annie is an herbalist, I was trying different kind of herbs to see if that would help control the onset of the anxiety. And it seemed to have some sort of beneficial effects, but not enough. The best way I had anxiety explained to me by a doctor was that anxiety or stress in the primordial part of our brain, the reptilian part, the fight or flight there is turned on and it goes up to 10. And normally when anxiety goes away or whatever creates anxiety, that will subside, it'll go back down. But in the case of somebody that has anxiety, it stays up. So the next time you have anxiety, it's not going to stay at 10. Now it's going to go to 11, 12, it's off the charts. And that was what I had to deal with. So the herbs were not working for me. Another thing I tried was a lady who practiced hypnotherapy. I saw a hypnotherapist for a while, and that was just a total mistake, not because of anything she did, but because the way I was wired, I was just too uptight that I couldn't fall under hypnosis. I remember she had little things that she would put on my fingers to test my, to test whether I was falling under hypnosis or not. And it was like, looks like here on this chart, according to your pulse and things like that, your breathing, that you might've started falling under hypnosis. The thing that also came into play with this anxiety was this feeling of this burning sensation. Because after I had these initial panic attacks, now my body was on all the time. And I would wake up in the morning and have maybe about 30 seconds of what felt like normal. I would be telling myself, oh my gosh, is today the day that I'm going to be able to put this behind me? And in would kick this sunburn feeling on my entire body. This would go all over my body at will, wherever. And so it would be like having a nasty sunburn that would be on your leg and then it would travel onto your back. It would be then on your arm. And that reminded me constantly that I had this panic, anxiety. So I was in a pretty bad state. And the hypnotherapy didn't work. I was at wit's end as far as what to do, because I was like, if I can't get this under control, I'm going to have to stop performing. Like on a hill, he made that decision, and lucky for him, he was able to do that. 
that I'm just going to take out any kind of interaction with the triggers of my anxiety. That's wonderful if he could do it. Well, for me, that would be the loss of my livelihood. I couldn't do it. There was a course called Panic Away. And Panic Away was one of these things where you would have to try various kind of exercises. Some of them did work. And the basic assumption of it was when you had a panic attack, you wrote it through from the beginning to end, being conscious of what it is and experience it in such a way that the novelty or the sensation of the panic would in and of itself subside because you would be controlling it with your rational thinking. And one of the tricks to that would you would say, oh, I'm having a panic attack. And you would say to yourself, yes, you're having a panic attack. And you would try something like saying, that doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? And those would be the exercises where you'd be trying to control that reptilian part of your brain to not be able to answer. It would confuse it is the best way to say it. We'll take a little break and I'll come back with that and continue along with my battle with anxiety. You're listening to Strung Out. Gardens, you'll find me blooming 
ragged road The love that was so fleeting Never laid me low artist endeavors buy me a coffee is an online site that makes supporting marty easy in just a few taps you can make a payment of any amount and no account is needed you can also decide to become an ongoing supporter go to martinmccormack.com and click on the words support Martin." let's help martin keep it all caffeinated so we're back and what I was describing before we had the little break was some of these mind games that you would play that would be suggested for combating anxiety. And to some degree, they work. And the simple way of dealing with it would be you would ask yourself a question. And by asking a question in the course of a panic attack, then your brain is stymied. The reptilian side of the brain doesn't deal with that kind of stuff, that thought process, your conscious part, that part of the brain does. And so it would be like an override, which is well and good if you have the opportunity to do that and you're not up in front of several hundred people. I hope you're finding a little bit of humor in this because now looking back at it, I can be a little bit humorous about it. So that was that. The other thing was you would create in your mind's eye a humorous looking, some sort of uh, like Harvey, if you will, a little counter familiar that would be ridiculous looking. I did that quite a bit and it, it did help me especially when I started noticing that my anxiety wanted to not only mess with me on stage, but it wanted to mess with me when I was flying. I was amazed at the fact that this was such a insidious little thing inside my own head. So finally, I decided after trying all these different avenues and not really having success, remember, I am touring, performing. I don't have backup. This is it. I have to do this. I have to sink or swim with this anxiety. And I was terrified of sinking. I was terrified that I would have to stop performing live shows and go off and do whatever. So, at this point, I did two things. I had a therapist 
that I went to see. And she helped me measurably trying to come to terms with some of the underlying causes. And a lot of the underlying causes had to do with a lack of self-esteem, I would say. And I find that amazing when I think about it, but I was up on stage and it was, even though it felt very comfortable to me, somewhere back in my psyche, I felt that I wasn't worthy enough to be up on stage or good enough to be up on stage, that I was going to be judged to some degree. I also had a lot of trying to run the company, trying to make a career out of this, not having any real breaks and the music business being so difficult with people who can be hostile and mean as well. It's not a business for the faint of heart. There's not a collegiality that exists out there in the music business. Even on the level that we were at, playing at performing arts centers and those kind of places. By acknowledging those things and touching on those things and saying, yeah, it's tough. What I'm doing is difficult. You're on stage all the time. Even when you're off stage, you're interacting with people. You didn't have any downtime in that regard. It was extremely difficult and still is. So one of the things this therapist, she instructed me to do, one of her modalities was yoga. And for a year, I had to do in the morning a series of yoga, a kriya, they call it, for a year, wherever I was. And that's one of the ways of dealing with stress. You create a sort of schedule for yourself. Probably one of the reasons why I like keeping lists is I can monitor a sense of normalcy and progress. The second thing I did was I talked to several physician friends, including my, my brother, Tony, and I decided to look into some sort of light medication. I realized that what I was fighting was not just something that presented itself out of the blue, but again, it was my DNA, something hereditary. It appeared to me the best thing I could do is to take about 75 milligrams of a drug called venlafaxine. The over-the-counter name, it's not an over-the-counter, but you've got to have a script for it, but it's called a fexer. And when we come back after the break, I'll talk about that, taking a fexer and all the other various things and where I'm at today with anxiety. You're listening to... Strung out. Hello, everyone. My name is Polly Chase. I am the gallery director of Marty's online art gallery at martinmccormick.com. If you haven't done so already, I invite you to go check out his artwork. He works in several different formats painting, illustration, drawings, and a very unique way of doing scratch art, which I think you'll find very interesting. So go check it out. MartinMcCormack.com. Click on the gallery, look at the art, and when you're ready to start your own collection, send me an email at MartyFineArt at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. 
We're back, and in this final part of the podcast, I want to continue along with taking Effexor. Uh, I have now, since 2009, have been taking Effexor 75 milligrams. You can take it once a day. What Effexor did for me was it took the foot off that anxiety accelerator. So I could have a very stressful moment, but I was not going to get past 10, okay? So it was, it was something that I noticed right away. And I changed my diet. I got off of gluten, and the, the burning sensation then went away. I have since found that if I start eating anything with gluten, that comes back. But that was just a weird coincidence that folded in with my anxiety. The other thing was when these attacks happened, I was definitely hitting middle age. And I think my physiology was changing. And I couldn't bounce back. The 20-year-old Martin McCormick could. So with the venlafaxine, I found it was really important to have. And I took it for a while. And then one year I decided, well, I'm going to get myself off this because I feel like I'm cured. And sure enough, about, I would say about nine months off venlafaxine, the panic attacks came back. And again, they just, boom, hit me. I was up on stage. I was playing up in Wisconsin. And I was doing an Irish show. And sure enough, the panic attack at this point, though, I was used to it. I was like, oh, here comes that anxiety again. But still, that reptilian part of my brain wanted to get the hell off that stage. It was everything to stay on stage. That was the craziest thing about it. So, as my doctor brother Tony said, it's a chemical world. The venlafaxine, I have found to be an overall wonderful thing for me. It's helped me maintain an even keel. There are some side effects. One of the side effects that I can't stand is that you get a little weight gain. And you also sweat 
a little more than the average bear. Those are things I just have to live with in order for me to continue to perform. And uh, those little tricks, like asking myself, why am I panicking? Or why do I feel discomfort when the jet flies overhead? Those are my coping mechanisms. And I have a healthy respect for anybody who's a performer who gets up in front of people and has to face those demons. And I'm not alone. I know there's a lot of very famous people that had these demons with them. James Cagney was one guy that would throw up every time. They had to keep buckets for him off stage. Throw up, go on stage, go off stage, throw up. Sir Lawrence Olivier had somebody standing off stage to push him out on stage. That was his way of coping. Donnie Osmond, when he was uh, performing, he uh, had horrible panic attacks, and I think he eventually controlled it with some medication. I think he was even toying with the idea of trying alcohol, and alcohol doesn't work, by the way. It's not your friend. But I think the biggest thing for me was the combination of practicing mindfulness about where I'm at, who I am, and also letting go. That feeling of falling over, finally I told myself, so what? You're going to fall over. If you're going to fall over, it's going to be part of the act. And that sensation went away. Every so often, I'll, it'll come to me. If I'm overly tired, if I've, I haven't had the right amount of rest, or I'm blindsided by something. The only way I can deal with it is by being open about it. I had to do the Blue Plate special for WDVX out in Knoxville, Tennessee. And Brian and I had driven up. I forget where the heck we were, but I was on stage. Here I am in front of these people and playing. And all of a sudden, I was like, man, I literally felt like my leg give out. So what did I do? I just started kicking my leg. And that's part of why you've seen me move the way I do on stage. It's just all these different kind of ways of coping. So let's wrap up this podcast. I am no expert. All I can tell you is what happened to me. And my advice based on what happened to me is this. If you are suffering from panic attacks, get help right away. Don't be ashamed. Acknowledge it for what it is. It's a chemical imbalance that is affecting your reptilian brain, your sense of flight or fight. That's where it's taking place. Usually it comes about as you age. There are ways that you can have it treated. In the case of Jonah Hill, where he's opted not to be in front of the public, where he gets his panic attacks, I wish him a lot of luck because I think in some ways that can backfire on you. I think probably the best thing I did was, with the help of continuing to play with Brian Fitzgerald, was staying on the horse. It wasn't easy. And... It never really goes away that once you have 
anxiety and panic attacks, they stay with you. You're reminded that you have them. But that makes you a better performer in a lot of ways, too. I know that sounds crazy, but, but because I have them, I am more mindful of connecting with people. I'm more mindful of trying to celebrate my own humanity, my own failings. And if you get me falling over, well, that's part of the show. <laughs> I do highly recommend getting medication. Don't be ashamed. I think getting the bare minimum of something that's non-habit forming like venlafaxine is the right way to go. Explore what kind of medicine will help you fine tune your chemistry in your brain to allow you to function normally. We are so lucky we live in a time that we can do that. So I hope this has been a little bit of a help to anybody that suffers from anxiety. And if you do and you want to reach out to me to talk about it, I'm happy to share any advice I have or insights or just be able to commiserate with you. And that's it for this week on Strung Out. I want to thank you as always for listening and encouraging each and every one of you to not only be good, but in this day and age where it's so needed, get out there and do good. All right. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. For more information about this show or a transcript, visit martinmccormack.com. While there, sign up for our newsletter. See you next time on Strung Out. Joyce, giving us that.